Hi, this is Dan Aykroyd. He's progressive. He's beautiful. He's thoughtful. He's intelligent. He's powerful. He's positive. He is Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 Satellite Radio. We don't play the social game. We are social. Power 98.5. You're listening to Power 98.5, powered by United Angels Dream, your number one resource for public relations, entertainment, and multimedia. Contact them today at unitedangelsdream.com. Prepare yourself. Okay, let's go. Empowering listeners from the US to the UK. Live on air with Stephen Cuoco. Welcome to Live On Air with Stephen Cuoco. Jeff Timmons in the house. Hey, Stephen, how are you? That's quite the intro. I really appreciate that. <laughs> hey, you deserve it. This is one of my favorite songs by you guys. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the one that really kind of put us on the map. We had a song on our album previously, uh, previous to that one called Invisible Man that was a hit, but uh, there wasn't much marketing behind it. So we were literally were the Invisible Men. And then, then this song came out and really kind of put us on the map. So I, I really appreciate you playing that. Uh, it's, it's an honor. And I never thought in a million years back then when I listened to this song and your music that I would be interviewing all these years later. Hey, look, I'm, I'm happy to be on with you. I'm lucky that we're being able to be interviewed uh, so many years later. So the, the, feeling, the feeling of appreciation is mutual. Well, here's the thing, and there may be a slight misconception, but you guys never went anywhere. You're still uh, doing incredible projects, touring, like there is no coming back. You are still relevant now as you always have been. Well, look, you, you know what? We, it feels like that now. We did take a long break to pursue other stuff and raise kids, and you know, life life kind of took us away from the group. So it, there was some a little bit of a, you know, uneasiness or uncertainty about whether our fans would still be there. And you know, we decided to come back in 2013, and of course, they they're they're still there for us. They're still embracing us and and still give us more love than ever. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, we went away voluntarily, but uh, you never know if you do that in this crazy business, if you're going to have an opportunity to come back and do what you love. And and for us, people are, are available for us and still still taking in our music and still supporting us. So we're very, very lucky and blessed. To go back a little bit to our listeners that are tuning in and anyone that's just getting to know about 98 Degrees, you, uh, Jeff Timmons, you're originally from Ohio. Yeah, that's right. I'm from a small town in Ohio called Maslin. It's a you know little football town and uh, really great people there. Midwest, blue collar, just uh, was a great place to grow up. 
most people don't know this, I'm assuming, maybe currently, but you studied psychology at, at Kent State. Did you get your degree? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I studied. <laughs> that was my major. <laughs> was it? So you, so you can know where this is going. No, I did not get my degree. I fell a quarter short of getting my degree, not even a semester, a quarter wow. short of getting my degree. I, you know, I look, I, I think sometimes I'd want to go back and get it just to say I have it. I just don't think I could use it. I, I started the group with some friends right at the end of my senior year. And, uh, you know, I was like, look, I, I got to go pursue this. It's something I was really felt I, I needed to do. And sure, I should have maybe stayed and got my degree, but I felt something and time was of the essence. And so I, I never went back. But yeah, I, my major was psychology. Did I study? Uh, maybe not so much. <laughs> but you gave it effort. Yeah, well, look, I went to the classes. I went to the yeah. classes. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm very curious, how did four young, talented guys end up with Motown label? I mean, and how did this all work and you being like the original founding member of 98 Degrees? Well, look, I, you know, growing up, I had always fallen into music, it, you know, where I'm from, it's a big football town. So music, it's not discouraged, but it's not the focal point of the town. You know, you want to be a football player. You want to be a jock. That's the cool thing to do. So music although it came very natural, naturally to me, I was never really interested in it, sort of shied away from it, but it just came so easy and, and started the group, you know, singing at a party with some other friends that were talented guys and, and thought we might have something there. We were big fans of boys to men and all for one was emerging, emerging at that time. And, you know, you couldn't get on YouTube or, or Instagram or any of these social media or the internet for that matter. It didn't really exist. The places where you could pursue a career were, you know, New York and L.A. So uh, we decided to go pursue the career and drove cross country, went to L.A. and, you know, sang everywhere, dropped the hat, sang acapella. We were heavily influenced by doo-wop groups and, you know, Motown groups. And, you know, the guys I was originally with uh, missed their homes and, and their families in Ohio. They dropped out and I decided to stay, was introduced uh, to, to Nick through a guy that I met in LA who had been from Cincinnati, Ohio, a different part of Ohio than what I'm from. And he was like, you got to hear this guy and played me a tape of Nick singing in a, in a local bar band. And I was like, you know, this had been after months of auditioning other guys in LA and couldn't find the right chemistry or the people that I wanted. And here, you know, heard a guy from Ohio that sounded amazing. Didn't even know what Nick looked like. I was like, I got to have this guy in my group with me, talk to him on the phone. Uh, convinced him that I had some good leads on on labels and management partners and producers. And he came out, dropped what he was doing, came out to L.A., you know, brought his brother out, his best friend out. We uh, we snuck backstage at a Boys to Men concert like they did. And uh, we got discovered there, did a demo and then, you know, end up ultimately getting signed to what we thought would be our dream label, Motown, because we were so influenced by them. We wanted to be on Motown. That was the label we wanted to be signed uh, to. We thought that that gave credit to, you know, all of those groups that inspired us, the Four Seasons, Temptations, Stevie Wonder, and Michael Jackson was there for a while um, before we moved on to Sony. But, uh, you know, it was sort of like a dream coming to into fruition, just the way you would, you know, draw it up. How were you, How old were you at the time? You know, a lot of people think we were teenagers because we, we ended up being considered a boy band. And um, but we weren't. We were all in our early 20s. I mean, we got signed in 95. I was. 22 years old. 
um, you know, Justin was a little older, 22 and Nick was 21 and Drew was 19. So, uh, you know, we were, we were young men at the time. So it happened, it happened pretty fast for us. We were together uh, probably less than four or five months and, and got, got our record deal. With the experience you had, once again, we did not have YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or anything. What makes music and music artists so different now compared to then? And do you feel that it was much more um, organic and easier for music artists such as yourself, you know, way back than it is now? Well, I think ultimately it's it's hard no matter what. And and less of it has to do with your talent, unfortunately, and more of it has to do with you creating your opportunity. So I think that, look, while these things exist now, they're great tools, but it still falls back on how hard you work, right? How willing, how willing you are to sacrifice everything and hustle. I don't think the talent level is different. I think talented people have existed throughout the history of the world. I just think now you have more opportunity to uh, get exposure. I think, you know, back in the day, you, uh, you know, you had to go see people in person and get out there and sing for your supper. And, and now it's an easier uh, way to, you know, you can curate your own fan base. You don't need to be on the radio. You can have a thousand fans. And if they pay you a thousand dollars a year with your product and you're a millionaire, right? So to me, I think there are more tools at your disposal now. I think it's a definitely there are more options to choose from at the same time. So I really think it's all relative and it ends up being to what I was talking about earlier, how hard you work. And, and if you're willing to put everything into it and really focus on it, you know, and a lot of other things go into it. There's gotta be a humility to it. There has to be a confidence to it. Um, and self-belief, uh, you know, and I think if you, you know, really stick, stick with it, uh, you can utilize resources today to have success. And back in the day, you could utilize resources back in the day to have success. So I think it's it's just a matter of, you know, rising to the top, however you can do it. I love the fact that people were able to make a living and have success, uh, you know, be, being able to utilize resources like social media. Do you believe that music artists today have more control and, and creative power and power over their content now than they did years ago it depends how you look at it i i think that you know the the biggest music artists and and recording artists if there's you know traditionally they're signed still signed to major labels which have a, the power to market you right that 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 bank account that that'll set you apart and put you everywhere and get you on the radio so i think that the more uh, uh more of those folks don't ultimately have as much creative control as they say they do but I think that if you're in the rest of the 90%, so look, I mean, 90% of the streams that you hear on all this, on the streaming platforms are, are accounted by, uh, for by 10% of the artists. So that leaves the rest of the 90% of artists that are out there doing their thing that aren't getting that mainstream exposure. But I think that those people have more control over, they can actually, you know, whether they have 100 fans, 10,000 fans, 100,000 fans that they've cultivated on Instagram or Facebook or, or wherever, whatever social YouTube, the, the social media platform of their choice, they can find out what their fans, you know, do case studies and find out what their fans like and dislike about their music and then sort of curate to cater to those fans that are loyal to them, uh, which I feel is a tremendous tool. Now, it's hard to, again, cut through all of the competition. And, and hopefully, if you work hard enough, you can do that to, to sort of you know, grow your fan base. And, uh, but I think that artists that are signed with majors, they still have those obstacles 
of in the bureaucracy of getting you know the creative control over everything you're a successful producer what do you recommend to anyone that's either already seasoned or up and coming the fundamentals before going into the studio to vet their uh their producer what is it that they need the tools the arsenal in their pocket uh and before you answer the reason why i'm asking um, cause I know you're going to answer this very well, Jeff is there are a lot. And I find music artists that come to me are spending hundreds to thousands of dollars on production, but there's no return on investment. I mean, they're spending anywhere from 2,500 to five grand per track. What do you recommend as a professional that an artist needs to do in order to be prepared, not just financially, but to really understand what they're getting themselves into and the return on investment. Well, you gotta be, that's a really great question because and it's, sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's 15, 20, 25 grand that, you know, folks are, you know, their families are getting preyed upon by these quote unquote producers. And you know what the problem is, is, you know, you know, music is emotion, right? You, 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 people love music. They perform for the love of music, uh, for the, for the love of the art. And, you know, there's that other part that you, you know, you strive and want to be famous, you know, and so sometimes that muddles your judgment with regards to business. So the first thing I would tell, you know, folks that are aspiring artists or even somewhat established artists in their own respect is really pay attention. You must learn the business. It's called the music business for a reason, right? And 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 you know, throughout the age-old, you know, throughout the history of time, you know, artists are preyed upon because they they lead with emotion, right? And it's that sort of catch twenty-two. Well, you have that emotion, that's why you are a talented and great artist. But at the same time, you got to use the other side of your brain and learn the technicalities of the business. How much if I spend this much on this producer, how much am I going to get in return? And what are the terms of the agreement? And look, people have gotten away with it for years because artists just want to perform. I just want to, hey, I'm going to be in the studio that's, you know, that's, it's attractive, right? It's, it's a wonderful experience. You're getting in there, you're recording, you're hearing your voice on wax and, and on, you know, wax digital. You know, you're hearing your songs and your voice, you know, produced and your, your ideas coming in into fruition, into existence. Right. But you got to find out, well, what's it going to cost me? How's it going to get promoted? And then look, oh yeah, this producer says they worked with X, Y, and Z. Look up their credits. That's what, you know, the luxury of having the internet, you know, there, there are these guys out there that prey on mid to low level, uh, you know, uh, success, successful artists. And they, they kind of coax them into, you know, you know, entering into these agreements where they pay them ridiculous amounts of money just just because they want to make it. And so, you know, I would spend time educating yourself on who the producer is. Look at their track records. Are they really the producer or were they in the room, right? Were they an assistant producer? Were they an engineer? Were they even really there? And spend the time. I know it's annoying and it's boring to vet these people, make sure that they're legit. And of course, you know, production's hard and tedious, so people want to be paid for their time. But just look at the track records of other artists that they've worked with to see if they've actually ever made it to the radio or those artists have had success on their own social platforms. And then, you know, you have to be honest with yourself and go, look, is it as attractive and as cool as this guy or gal is to say they can do this for my career? It's just not realistic and it's not the truth. And, you know, spend time working on your craft and eventually you'll run into the people that actually can further your career with the great intentions and the right, you know, the right ambition and, and uh, hopes to, to see you have success. 
when it comes to detailing the metadata within music, um, I'm still learning a lot, but I'm very, uh, you know, curious as to get your perspective from what I'm being taught and learning with representing music artists or even advising them is the, I've been informed by some producers who I trust that metadata is so very important. Is it the responsibility of a producer or is it also, or is it just a responsibility of the publishing company in making sure that metadata is so crucial, especially when I'm finding out that people or musicians that are on Spotify that are getting like millions of uh, downloads or streams, uh, they, you know, chalk it up to where it all has to do it. Made uh, got it. You got, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> metadata. I mean, what is your thoughts on that? Well, look, there's, there's several, obviously there's, there's a, a huge disparity in what you should get paid with regards to those streaming platforms right now. Uh, and, and the label has, a, the labels have a stronghold on it and the platform streaming, uh, uh, streaming services are making the, the lion's share of the money. I think it's like, they're all different, but something like YouTube's 0. 0.00065 cents per stream. So you ne- literally need to have millions of streams to really make any real money, which is extremely discouraging. So there are some emerging services and platforms that are going to be more favorable to the artists, but they're not there yet. Uh, so gathering your data is really, really important. You can get some of the data from some of the streaming services, but look, they also like Facebook and, you know, Instagram, they also, you know, keep that data from you and utilize it for their resources uh, to go out and, and garner advertising, right? They're, they're, they're using your data <laughs> that you're, you're creating this content and generating views and likes and, and engagement. And they're not really sharing that with you. So you can understand uh, what that means and help your own business with it. Um, So, you know, the best you can do is basically pull your audience, right? Find out what what works for them. And it's not very scientific, but there are some emerging platforms that are going to provide you with very specific data geographically where your fans are engaged. Well, that'll help you, you know, create a tour, right? Um, uh, you know, they'll give you the the age demos of your fans, so you know wh- who you're catering to. Um, you know, that stuff's going to become more and more available, but right now it's not really in existence. You'll get some general ideas from Spotify of your fan base and frequency of listeners, and Twitch provides some data. Uh, you know, to gamers and now, you know, uh, musicians are migrating over there to put their content because, you know, of COVID, they're trying to find a way to monetize their online content. But right now it's not in, in existence. So the best way to do it is pull your fans, find out what they like, what they don't like, styles, where they're located. You have to do your own business with regards to mining that data because it's valuable and it does exist, and it's really easy to gather <laughs> with through the social platforms. But they don't share that with you. They they use use it to, you know, to sort of uh, give give advertisers specific information to help their business. That's their business. Their business isn't to give you a platform to you know to express yourself. Although it appears that way, uh, their business is to gather data for sponsors. That's how all entertainment's driven right now, from TV to radio. And also the social platforms. And it will be that way, that way for a long time until, until someone creates another business model. Vetting. 
number one thing I tell music artists all the time, vet your content and get someone that's going to be objective, not subjective, because you know, if you're going to have your sister or your mom or your boyfriend or girlfriend, listen, they're going to automatically love it. So what are your thoughts when it comes to music artists needing to get their music vetted before submitting or publishing their content to get an idea of potentially what their listeners may like or some sort of objective feedback that could be in their best interest? That's a great question. I mean, well, look, you're going to have to have thick skin because, you know, the majority of the time you're going to have people that aren't going to like your stuff. And, you know, the way to find out is to, is to do what you just said, to vet it. And you have to vet it. You can find the, the demographic, whether you're a rock guy or a pop guy or a rapper or country artist or bluegrass, whatever it is. Find your a diverse version of your audience, which you think is your audience that likes that particular style of music and create your own case study with it. It doesn't need to be a million people. It can be 30, right? It can be 15, right? But make sure that they don't know you and they're not friends with you because like you said, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And that's great if you are looking for an ego stroke and you don't want to ever make any money, (laughs) right? Or Mm -hmm. prolong your career or have any longevity. Uh, But if you really want to get uh, you know, the, the true opinion. Look, I do this stuff with my fans all the time. I will put three versions of a song, three, three versions of tracks, uh, uh, three different tracks on my Instagram live. And I'll say to vote or I'll place it on my Facebook, li- Facebook live and post it on my Facebook and tell them to vote. Right. And I always think I know what they're going to like. Right. And I'm always surprised because the one I like is the least favorite of theirs. And I'm going, they could, they're wrong. But no, that's your fan base. Right. They're right. <laughs> You're wrong. You know, mm-hmm. so you have to remove that emotional attachment to it, even though you felt it and you were feeling it, you know, keep it keep it in the, in the back, you know, back pocket for your own enjoyment and listen to it in your car. But if you're looking to really get the honest opinion of your fans, you have to go out there and, and poll them and get get information. And then they're, they're going to tell you what's important to them and what they feel and what they like. And then you go go with it from there. And a lot of people say, well, art's art. And, you know, I'm just vibing out and I'm a musician. And but yeah, that's 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 all well and good. But that doesn't pay your bills. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, if you're if you're uh, you have the luxury of sitting back and, you know, playing whatever type of music you want. And you can make a living. That's a different story. But if you're doing trying to do it as a business and prolong your career, be afforded the opportunity to create art for a living, you have to curate your content and tailor your content to meet your fan base that are the consumers. It's a business. I like it. You you made it very, very simple. Once again, everyone, Jeff Timmons, music producer, music artist. He's been around to know his stuff. Everyone who's here live on air with Stephen Cook on Power 98.5, you know, look into what it really means to be a successful music artist. Take what Jeff is saying to you, these golden nuggets, these gems, and make it fun. Keep the passion, keep the spirit, you know, there and don't lose it before allowing someone in corporate or the corporate aspect of how this music business can really sour uh, your spirit and your ambition. With that being said, Jeff, have you or any of your other band members have experienced, you know, or more specifically, what have you experienced, if anything, the flip side of the business where you weren't in control, where you weren't able to maybe make executive decisions and you were trusting the team or or even the labels to do right by you? What has your experience been like? 
Well, absolutely. I wouldn't be able to be, you know, spouting off all this stuff if I didn't have that experience, right? I wouldn't have had to to learn the ins and outs of the business if I didn't trust the powers that be to take care of us. And this goes for any major artist that has ever made it, unless they're self-made from the beginning and those people are just extra brilliant, right? They're, those are the people that are using both sides of their brain, the technical part and the creative part. So kudos to those folks. But the majority of us, you learn, I'm not a brilliant guy. I've just learned by experience, right? So you learn, you trust people, you know, uh, you, you know, you see things going on, you're on the radio, you're on MTV, TRL, you know, touring the world. And you're like, okay, wait a second here. Uh, I'm not getting to really pick the songs I love. I'm not really, you know, getting accountings of what our royalties are and what we're making, but you're so enamored by, you know, the experience of having made it that you don't pay attention to those things. You're just getting to do what you want to do. I'm getting to tour. I'm getting to go on stage. I have fans screaming for me, you know, uh, and, and that's all great. But, you know, when that, if you're at that level and you're able to do it 24 hours a day for several years in a row, that means money's being generated somewhere, right? So you need to, you know, pay attention to all those things. I can't stress the importance of assembling a team around you of people that believe in you, not people that want to make money from you, people that want to make money from you because that's a part of the business. Everybody that works for you will expect to make money, but also people that believe in you, that truly believe in you. And that is really hard to assemble a team of people that look out for your best interest while understanding they make money. And, and art is even worse because it goes back to that old Amadeus thing. You have these people that want to work for you and make money from you, but also secretly might not have made it being a talent themselves and have a subconscious or conscious resentment towards you. So that sounds like a paranoia kind of thing, but it's absolutely the truth. And you'll hear it again and again from any artist that's really aware of what's going on, that there's people that in your camp that while making money from you will do the best to, to, to you know, deflate you or degrade you or make you feel like, you know, you're lucky to have them on your team. And look, any of those things that happen are red flags. You need to run as fast as you can, no matter how good you think they are for your career. And because ultimately it'll crash and burn. So it's just being about as self-aware. And a lot of artists are, wow, this is too much to think about. I just want to get out there and sing. But it's again, if you want to have be afforded the luxury of being a creative for a career in your life, you have to pay attention to all of these things. Have you experienced uh, in any way, whether it be personally or your representation, uh, reaching out to music supervisors? Because I can't or don't recall if your music's been in film and television, I'm assuming it was. But what is your recommendation about music supervisors and music artists reaching out to music supervisors for placements in TV and film? It's really funny you say this because it's really... I've been really struggling with finding those people, right? Traditionally, like anything, right? It's a tight knit group that once you're in, you're in and they, and then people go back consistently to the same, same, uh, you know, songwriters, same producers, just like they do in the entertainment business. You, you know, these, these folks go to the guys that are proven, proven guys, the Timberlands of the world and the J cash and, you know, Babyface And, you know, those guys work, it's guaranteed. So, you know, it's hard to get in that mix. I really don't have a recommendation for it. You know, I'm creating a an, an, uh, streaming platform that has an atmosphere with the potential where folks can put their stuff and submit it for, uh, you know, uh, consideration for, pro for placement. The, the way I had to do it was, you know, I had to go pitch a TV show, <laughs> had to get it on the air, and then was afforded the opportunity to create the music for it. That's the only time that I've... I've uh, I've had the opportunity to get my stuff 
uh, integrated into sync licensing and TV, which is an extraordinary lucrative business, video games, game shows, TV shows, movies. Uh, but you know, those are, those are tight knit groups that I'm not exactly familiar with where to point people in the direction with, but certainly think that if you're not a person that wants to be in front of the scenes and you love just plucking away at the keys or the guitar or, you know, making beats in the studio, I wish there were more mainstream ways to do that. What are your thoughts on the importance of a musician's music library being so strategic, just in case if someone were to, were to have a music, uh, you know, uh, supervisor to look into them, if referrals are referenced, how strategic are you with building your music libraries? Well, I have hundreds of songs. And during COVID alone, I wrote over 50 songs or starts of songs or parts of songs. Uh, I think the important thing with folks with regards to, the, to, to those, what I've learned is you got to have several, ver- you have to have complete songs, even though the, these, uh, they're, they're called stingers or they're smaller pieces of the songs. They, these uh, supervisors traditionally like to, to pull from different parts of the song. So create a full length song, do a part with the vocals and lyrics on it, do an instrumental, make sure it's a high quality uh, a wave file or, you know, MP3s are, are, are interesting to pitch the songs, but they're going to look for higher versions of the songs. And if you're like me, I used to just scratch away at an idea and then put it away in the vault. And, and I was in that vibe for that moment or that evening or the, those couple of days and they aren't polished, right? They're rough. But nowadays everybody likes to see everything produced, right? The, the, the ideas traditionally, I'm not saying that there aren't people out there that have great musical ears and they're like, can see an idea or hear an idea and go, Oh, I, I see it once it's done and produced and polished. It'll, it'll be great to put it. Majority of them want it done. It all wrapped up into a bow ready to go. So you got to spend that extra time making different versions of your songs and having it ready to go for when you do have an opportunity they can you can send the instrumental in a high quality wave or send the complete song in a high quality wave and different versions of it as well so although it seems like extra work and you know when you're an artist and you're in the studio and you're vibing out and you get that vibe <laughs> and then the next day you might not have it anymore but you have to do that busy work as well what's acting like been for you acting mm-hmm. you've done acting, well you know you? Uh, well, look, I, I would say that I've been in a movie. I wouldn't call the performance. <laughs> I wouldn't label it as an acting performance. I, you know, look, I've been, I had been approached through the years to to act. And it was interesting, especially after the group was over, had a number of opportunities to act. I was you know, preoccupied with, you know, uh, being a dad at that time, took a break. And, you know, uh, fortunately for me, Nick Carter from Backstreet Boys created this movie called Dead Seven on Science Channel. And I had an opportunity to have a role in a <laughs> in a television movie. Uh, you know, look, I wouldn't say that it was, uh, you know, that that Stanislavski was going to hit me up, you know, from the from the grave about how amazing I was. But it was a tremendous experience and always something that I'd love to pursue. But, you know, I'm so into the business side of things and being creative and being a dad at the same time. That I, I, you know, I haven't pursued that as much as I'd like to, but would definitely, you know, jump at the opportunity and really take it seriously if it was a serious role. Not the Dead Seven was not a serious opportunity. It was a, it was a, a, a fun movie to be a part of with a lot of my peers and had the time of my life on it. But, you know, I'd certainly love the opportunity to get a real role. Mm-hmm. Well, I can, I think you definitely belong, definitely in uh, something in TV and film. Well, I second that emotion. <laughs> <laughs> is there 
anything that you would like to add to this um, upcoming projects, what's going on with 98 Degrees Touring? We all know what's going on with the pandemic out there, but what are you guys doing or what are you specifically doing to stay relevant, uh, keep yourself out there, uh, to be able to continue to do what you do best? Well, look, we, again, uh, you know, not just lip service, but we love the, the fact that we're still enabled by our fans to go out there and tour. They're more excited than ever, which is surprising to us, but definitely we're grateful for it. We had, you know, 40 plus dates on the books for 2020. Unfortunately, the pandemic moved that to 2021 and when things go open up we'll definitely be on the road there are some other projects that we're working on potentially some new music which is long overdue from us uh possible some possibly some television stuff that we're we're kind of exploring right now as a group and you know we're all doing our own things as well but definitely the group's first and foremost in all of our minds and we're going to be creating some new stuff for our fans that again we're appreciative are still there for us any closing thoughts or shout outs that you'd like to give jeff no, I just want to thank thank you for having me on, Stephen Power at ninety eight five for having me on. Uh, really appreciate the time and still being able to to talk about uh, myself and my career and all this stuff. And hopefully, uh, you know, we'll have passed along some some good advice to folks. And and you know, look, those that are out there and aspiring artists, never give up. Believe in yourself and work really hard, and and you'll get to, you'll get to experience hopefully some of the great stuff that I've been blessed to experience. So I appreciate the time and hope everybody's safe and healthy out there. Wear your mask. I know uh, not everybody wants to wear a mask. Just do it, and uh, hopefully life will return uh, back to normal, maybe better than ever uh, post-pandemic. I'm glad you touched on the mask part, Jeff, is because, you know, we all know where the climate's at of where people's thoughts are. However, I'm going to say, just think about your own self-care and your own self, self health and wealth and what it means. And, you know, just do it for the protection of you and just, you know, we're coming in a flu season anyway, who knows, you know, maybe you can go without getting sick this year. You know, I think, Besides what's happening with the pandemic, if I'm saying that, you know, with with all niceness, I just would say just take extra precautions to protect your health, to protect your children. You're a father, you know, you're you you have a, a beautiful wife, Amanda, you know, you want your family to stay safe. And I would say, you know, even if you can protect yourself from a common cold or or the flu, whatever, just, you know, like you said, wear a mask. Absolutely. I mean, look, even if you, whether, whether, whatever political you stance you, you, uh, you have on it and I don't, I don't talk politics, you know, Hey, just wear it just in case, right. Just wear it just in case. If, and again, not, if not to help you, if it does work or doesn't work, who knows. Right. But if it's, if it can possibly help, help someone not get sick, why not just wear it? Who cares? Exactly. Jeff, stay on the line. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Power 98.5 live on air with Jeff Timmons, live on air with Stephen Cuoco. And please reach out to Jeff. Uh, Where can we find you? Are you taking any students right now with producing? Are you taking any clients right now with producing? 
Always, man. Have a ton of projects going on, but always interested in new artists. You can find me on all, on all the socials. It's all at Jeff Timmons. Facebook, I think it's like official Jeff Timmons or Jeff Timmons official. And look, I'm always interested in producing new new artists. I'm in the studio nonstop uh, and, and always looking forward to at least uh, helping someone along the way. And uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'm very hands-on with the fans and, and interested in feedback and, and just uh, and getting, a, getting a gauge of what everybody likes and loves. So. Thank you so much, Jeff. I'll, uh, Jeff, once again, stay on the line. I'll be with you in less than 30 seconds. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on Power 98.5. Jeff Timmons, reach out to him. Get a hold of him. He knows his stuff, and if he doesn't know it, he's going to be willing to learn it. Intelligent, smart, dedicated, and we're. All, I'm super excited to be able to be in this moment with him. Thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate the time, and thanks to everybody that's listening. Be safe, and I love you guys. Thank you. Us on your socials and let's connect. 